0: after they get maybe past a, a potential shock value, what, how might this land for those that have been oppressed
1: uh, by the way that
0: they, yeah. Yeah. I
1: mean, hope. Here's, here's someone who seems to know this law, but, but be presenting it in a beautiful and real way.
0: Yeah.
1: I mean that there's hope there's, you know? Can you imagine being a widow and and knowing that you have no other option but the scribe, mm. and knowing that that there's that there's help.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's good, because for the first time in their lives, they have an advocate. They have somebody who is actually offering them life. And freedom instead of oppression. And he isn't afraid to call them out. And that's that's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. When you think about the profound influence of the Bible on the world, the way that it has shaped our culture, whether you're a follower of Christ or not, it's probably a good idea that you know at least what it says. It's going to be about us taking and reading the Bible. All right, welcome back to the Take and Read Podcast. I am excited because I have another new guest. This has been a season of new guests, I guess the season of transition from Texas to Montana. But this guest is actually a blast from the past. So I have with me today Angela Thailand. Angela, hello. Hello. Okay, so it's yeah, it's good to have you. Uh, thanks for agreeing to be on my podcast so I'm not all by myself and lonely. That that has (laughs) happened. I have been by myself and, and so I'm always excited to have a guest, especially excited to have a guest like you. So for everybody who's listening, Angela and I go way back. I first met Angela when I was in college and were you a freshman?
1: I in was, a freshman and you was were I a senior? Senior, mm-hmm. senior.
0: okay. So uh, we were both at Oregon State University, Go Beavs. And <laughs> uh, I was good friends with her then boyfriend, later fiance, now longtime husband. Uh, and and so I got to know her when she first arrived on campus. And we were in a Bible study. We were both young. Let me add. Uh, I thought I knew a lot that I didn't know. And she was full of all kinds of good questions. And so we actually met around the Word of God. We met uh, when we decided, you know, for both of us in our own ways that reading the scriptures were absolutely vital and important to us. Uh, So uh, Angela and I go way back. And then uh, we got to live for a season uh, where both of our families were in Texas. And so she's actually, you're in Texas uh, still, and so we get to kind of span the northern and southern parts of the country here in Montana and Texas. So, welcome onto the podcast.
1: Thank you, Chad. It is it's great to be here, especially with how many years we've known each other. Um, it's been so blessing to do this in God's word together.
0: Yes, Amen. So, uh, one of the things that's kind of typical for a first time guest on the podcast is we I I want to hear. If you can, remember back to your first encounters with the Bible, Uh, maybe that's from growing up in a Christian home, but what do you remember, kind of your earliest experiences and thoughts about the Bible, and then kind of walk us through, tell us your story of how your relationship with God's Word has kind of, it kind of developed to where it is today.
1: Hmm. Well, I came from a home of um, Christian believers, and that's been a blessing. Um, but from my earliest memories, the the Bible was opened, but it wasn't explained. And so, as a child, it was merely um both confusing but also um more tradition. Uh-huh. Um I saw my dad diligently open the Bible in the morning, and so that's what I saw. It was a great visual but it did not really transcend my life growing up and so i had a lot of questions um which Chad you know that um is it when you,
0: i just quick ahead. question to clarify were you seeing dad read the scriptures going to church regularly and was it just kind of thought that well, i mean, and you can only speculate but did your parents just trust that you were getting that clarity at church or in Sunday school or something like that?
1: Probably I've thought about that. Um, I honestly think that their parental influence um, was probably something similar, just a little bit removed. They cared deeply, they loved, Mm -hmm. but it wasn't a huge thing to talk to, deeply about God's word. I and mean, We talked about who God is in the gospel, but as far as the Bible being in the inerrant book of God's words and um, just the intellectual side, maybe that was just more my hang-up and it wasn't their hang-up, but mm-hmm. I didn't realize it was my hang-up until later on when I felt like I couldn't ask those questions because it. Mm. I think that... It, it pushed against some sort of security and, and maybe who they thought God was. Um, and so the answer was usually, you know, you just believe. Um, and intellectually, that wasn't enough for me. And therefore, because it wasn't enough, my life didn't really show life change based on God's word because I don't think I really cared about God's word at that
0: right. point it okay. It was not a priority for you at that point, and that could have been stage of life maturity absolutely uh, relationship with the Lord like right so we can we can all relate to that so then t- kind of how did how did or when did the Bible become a more prominent piece in your life
1: yeah I'm honestly freshman year um freshman year in college at Oregon state that that was pivotal for me because I got to ask. Questions of God's Word, and know that the Bible could handle my questions. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't something to be scared of. Um, the truth merits inspection. I love that. Um, yeah. It is it is worth inspecting, but that's not a practice that I participated in up until that point. And so, mm-hmm. my freshman year, I went to a Bible study. There was um, there were two leaders. One was Chad Warren. And I, I think that I derailed all efforts of structure in that study. <laughs> and you're laughing, but it's true. I just had all of these questions, you know, simple questions yeah. about predestination. You know, like, why can't we just... Talk about that. Yeah,
0: I remember prepping for those Bible studies with our my roommate Andrew, and you know, we're we're leading this Bible study and we would kind of go through here's here's what we want to cover, here's the text, and and so inevitably we would kind of get, you know, part way through it and you were just like Okay. Yeah. yeah. Good. 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 What do you do with this? And then you'd send this zinger, and we're like, "What?" Okay, we got to stick to our plan. And so we were, you know, not not as flexible and able to kind of navigate that. And I remember just a a really uh, dear sister in Christ, uh, Katie, who was able to come alongside you, and and uh, from that time, kind of get to walk with you a little bit. So the questions were good. We just were young and unable to navigate. Such good questions um, at the time. The young but. leading
1: the young, so <laughs> <laughs> it
0: really was. Oh, uh, good stuff. So then, fast forward to okay, freshman year. You go through college. You get married. You you start having a family. What? How has your walk with the the Lord and the Scriptures specifically kind of progressed? It's
1: mm, a good question. I think that probably as with anybody there's ebbs and flows of consistency um with mm-hmm. the scriptures and in good communi- communion with other believers and then you know when you have busyness and babies you, you tend to make excuses and so i found times when i made those excuses but probably about five years ago i came in contact with um, one of jen wilkins books Called Women on the Word, and that drastically changed
0: hmm. how
1: I approached God's Word. It was kind of a kick in the pants for how I was opening um, God's Word, and it it for from then on it changed really how I how I open the scriptures and how it changed my life.
0: Can you think about what maybe one or two things were particularly? motivating about what she said where there was there a principle a concept that that kind of triggered for you and you're like oh I, i'm i need to up my game kind of thing
1: yeah oh there was so much but it was really the. i think it's the second chapter where it talks about the different practices that we tend to um do when opening up god's word and you know mm-hmm. do we open it up as You know, God's a genie, and He can do and provide in wisdom whenever I need it. Yes, and do I just open up just randomly in God's scripture Uh and say, God, you you have something for me. It's true. The Bible is living and active, but um, it's also methodical. Um, It it makes sense. And the way it's written, Mm -hmm. it's written in literary form for a reason. And why would I take the Bible and and do with it differently than I would do any other book. Uh, you know, yeah. I, I would just open a book and just randomly open it up and expect to have life change from it or really understand who I am. I also think that I perch God's Word in figuring out more about my life than figuring out more about who God is. Because the more I mm. learn who God is, then the more I can rightly align myself up with His standard. Yeah. And
0: that was huge. Okay. Cool. Uh tell me about what does it practically look like for you uh with being a mother of 3 and a lot of different schedules and as your kids age, they've got more complex schedules. Uh you know, you and Mike, you guys you guys stay busy. So how does a what does regular cadence in god's word look like for you is there a place a time a particular beverage that you have is there uh, you know is there like what it, shape that picture for me because i think it's neat as i have guests on to see the variety of ways that it can look that it doesn't have to look one particular way and uh, it is but you see a consistent thread that for for many it is a consistent thing and and they do attend to God's Word regularly, it just depends on their situation. So what is your situation? What does it look like?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. In my current stage, um, I have sections of time where I could spend um, a longer time in Bible study. And that's typically when my kids are at school, and I have just that little section of time um, where I can really dive in. Um, mm-hmm. That's not a daily thing. I can't dive in deep in Bible study every day, um, but I do um, have a regular cadence of getting into His Word daily. But that deep mm-hmm. dive, um, probably, realistically, maybe three times a week, um, I do that. Accountability is huge, and so I'm part of women's Bible studies, and so that helps keep me accountable to getting into God's Word and, um, I help lead and facilitate women. And so when I look at God's word, really, I just ask questions as say, okay, what am I curious about? What could they be curious about? And so whenever you're, you're anticipating leading somebody else, I think there's a different accountability with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then honestly, it's, it's a natural thing with our kids, with our kids age, we get to ask them questions, you know, mm-hmm. before bed, I got to talk to my six year old, as we go through his Bible story book, um, about the simple stories through Scripture, but they're mm-hmm. not simple, um, right. but just in a very simple, you know, six-year-old way. But then with my older yeah. kids, we get to talk about the things that they're learning and and apply it. And so it's not just sitting down with God's Word; it's it's kind of our whole life schedule and applying it to what God's what God's doing.
0: Yeah. So uh, a running theme on this podcast is is determining if people are coffee drinkers and mm-hmm. uh, in the morning and it is anywhere associated with their time in the word. Uh, do they brush their teeth before they drink their coffee or after?
1: Well, I'm not a coffee drinker, so um, okay. So I brush my teeth whenever I want to. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's awesome. That's a great answer. Uh, I want to steer a little bit back to you made a you kind of shared the way that you interact around the word with your kids. And that led you down a particular path to starting to write Bible study curriculum. And you are now have produced one Bible study uh, that takes younger believers, or how would, yeah, describe what you have written and produced, and uh, yeah, tell us a little bit about that.
1: Yeah. Um, I wrote a um, Bible study that's focusing on biblical literacy for the demographic of teens. How that came about is my daughter, then a preteen, came to me, and she saw me doing Bible studies with my friends, and she wanted to do a Bible study with her friends, and so I was looking for a resource that would lead her to love God's Word and to handle it appropriately. And what I found was for that age demographic, there really wasn't a resource out there that was exactly what I was looking for. Um, they had something for a younger age demographic, but you know, at that, that age, she just wants to be an adult. and she's not an adult yet, and so that's why it's hard. And then the adult studies. They're, they're meant for adults and she's not. And, mm-hmm. and I'm glad she's not. She's exactly where she should be. Um, but it 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 led me to write something specifically for that demographic and then rewrite it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then now I have a resource that I believe could be a really good resource for preteens and teens to lead them into how to know and understand and apply God's word appropriately.
0: Man, and I'm that's really great. About it.
1: mm-hmm.
0: So it's it would be a good resource that either you could put in the hands of a teen or a parent could go through with a teen. If they Absolutely. To. Um, okay.
1: It would be great individually, but also in a group setting. Um, so yeah. for a church um, group setting to do it together or for just a teen to do it um, by themselves um, or with other teens. I mean, that's, it's yeah. always, I know for me, I love doing things in community. And so whenever you can do it in community, either with a parent or uh, a sibling or a friend or a church group, usually we're more successful with that.
0: Mm-hmm. Where would uh, where would folks go to find this? What's it called? Where should they go?
1: <laughs> uh, it's called Seeking Truth Philippians. And um, you can go to... My website to get that, um, okay. which we can put that in writing.
0: Yeah, we'll put that in uh, the description and uh, put links to it associated okay. with this podcast. So uh, wherever folks are listening or watching, you can just click the link and go check that out and order one for you for every teen you know. Is it specific <laughs> to girls or is it really kind of that teenage demographic guy or girl?
1: Yeah, I, I designed it for both male and female. Okay, that's hard. Cool. There's a lot of resources for girls specifically. And so I wanted something that could could really be for either one. Uh, it's the, the size, even the feel of it mm-hmm. was designed specifically for this age demographic and to be appealing so cool. and not overwhelming because that's important. They're establishing habits. And so we want them to succeed in establishing those habits well within that age.
0: Right on. Yep. Okay, Angela, let's let's do what we came to do here. Let's do let's it. Let's take and read the word of God. We are in the Gospel of Mark. We've been making our way ever so carefully through the Gospel of Mark, and for a year now we have just gotten through the middle of chapter twelve. So we're in Love Mark it. chapter twelve and we're gonna take a look at a short little passage. Uh, and to kind of set the stage, as you turn there, uh, we have we've we've seen some things throughout the Gospel Mark, and and I always like to just kind of circle back around, reiterate some of the context here. So we understand Mark being the earliest account of the life and ministry of Jesus that we have. It uh, is believed historically to be the product of Peter's preaching. Uh church historian Eusebius tells us that it, was, it came about that uh, Peter was in Rome teaching the Christians in Rome, and his companion, John Mark, was there with him, and they were getting ready to depart, but before they were, they were allowed to leave, basically the, the believers in Rome said, you have to leave us with the teachings of Christ. And so that may lend to why it's the shortest of the Gospels that we have. Uh, it's, it's a lot briefer on many different uh, incidences that occur in the Scriptures that you might read about in other Gospels, whether that's in Matthew or Luke uh, or John. And it's, it's very kind of fast-paced. It's, it's the book of the Bible where you will find the word immediately most represented. It's very interesting how... Uh, from scene to scene it's immediately they went here immediately they did this and it's just this kind of really fast clicking uh, movement you also uh understand that from the get-go there's kind of the, the the position of john mark or peter as he preaches uh there's this idea that this is the gospel of jesus christ the messiah and then the rest of the the gospel account supports that statement that the first statement of the entire gospel is a declarative this is who jesus is the rest of this is the account of how i support that conclusion Uh, you also see some interesting things about the demonstration of god's kingdom and the power of the king of that kingdom being jesus christ there time after time he's he's teaching uh, differently than the scribes. He teaches as one who has power, unlike the scribes. He demonstrates power. He can heal uh, disease. He can calm storms. He can drive out demons. He can demonstrate this authority in every realm possible and, and imaginable. So he is, he's doing this over and over again. He's made his way to Jerusalem by this point. He's been in Jerusalem for several days and he's a, attended to the temple on several occasions. And so at this point, he's been in the temple. And we've gone through in chapter 11 and 12 these series of encounters. And it makes it seem like it was they were there and there was this kind of large gathering, this crowd, and uh, elders and scribes would come and try to test him. And then pharisees and sadducees would come and try to test him and then some more scribes came to test him and he's kind of enduring these tests and through every one of these tests it shows really more about those trying to test him than it does him that he demonstrates absolute control in each of these encounters and and shows himself to be the one who has wisdom where these others don't. He's the one that has command and authority. These others don't really. And so as they are trying to preserve authority, it just seems to kind of be eroding in the public opinion around them. And so it's interesting. And that's what leads us up to this uh, uh, passage that we're gonna be in. We'll be in verses 38 through 40. So a short little passage and He has just, I mean, literally right when he's about to say what he says, he's just got done challenging publicly the scribes. He has just said in verse 35, how can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David, and calls out some assumptions that uh, the scribes obviously had about who the Messiah would be, and that Messiah's relationship to David and being his son and fulfilling that prophecy and demonstrating something about Jesus as he's saying this and but what he does is it clearly would put scribes in a bad light. And so that I think is an important context piece for what we're going to read. So I'm reading out of the ESV. What do you have today?
1: I have the ESV as well.
0: Okay. So we are going to take and read. And just for everybody's sake, uh Angela and I took some time to pray. I think that's a huge part of attending to God's Word is starting with prayer, asking the Lord to give wisdom, insight, to illuminate the text. And so we did that right before we hit record. Uh, So here we go. Starting in chapter 12, verse 38, the Gospel of Mark. And in his teaching, he said, "'Beware of the scribes, "'who like to walk around in long robes "'and like greetings in the marketplaces,' and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers, they will receive the greater condemnation. That's all we get today. So what I like to do is first kind of attend to this and ask the big question, what does this say? So who's there? What, what's kind of the surrounding scene And how would I kind of, if I were setting up like a movie scene, what what would I set up? What what would be there? Who would be present? And what are, are there words, concepts, ideas that need some explaining? So what are some things that you see that kind of help us understand the scene? Well, I see that
1: Jesus is talking to... The crowd, but he's also bringing another scene, a scene of uh, really past and present about what the mm-hmm. scribes like to do. And so he's describing a scene that's not exactly currently happening, but has happened and most likely will continue to happen, which is interesting.
0: Yeah, and especially since he has just, I mean, prior to this in the gospel account anyway, he has called out the scribes. So there seems to be some link to the scribes and their teaching and understanding and then he kind of uh it's like he's and we don't know if he is kind of speaking out loud to a large crowd we know that a large crowd had gathered in the in the area of the temple that he was in and so we don't know if this is him kind of like in a whispered voice, hey, and by the way, be careful. And we don't know if he's broadcasting it. So mm-hmm. we can't really make a determination as to the volume and the size. So I think we would have to assume that he's saying this in a way that can be easily perceived and understood by anyone around him because it's a part of his teaching. And and that's what it says here. Uh, and in his teaching, he said, which he had just got done teaching about what the scribes say about the Christ being related to David and so on. Um, so it's interesting that he's, yeah, he's involved the scribes. There's an audience there that he is teaching. So I think the assumption would be that he, he's continuing to teach that same audience, which is a decent-sized crowd that is gathered there at the temple. Um, yeah, so it's going to be, a, if it's that case, it's going to be a crowd that's mixed with disciples and friendlies and also those that are possibly opposed. Uh, and if there's those that are opposed, there's probably scribes present. I mean, uh, quite possibly. And that's in line with kind of the the level of intensity <clears throat> that Jesus, as he moves closer to the cross, his teaching becomes more intense and more intense um, uh, challenging towards the existing authorities as he gets closer and closer. When he first starts out, he's saying, go, tell no one, you know, be quiet about this. He's he's performing these miracles and he's, he's teaching, but he's kind of far off in the north in the region of Galilee. Now, as he's make it, making his way to Jerusalem, the parables get a little bit more intense. They get a little bit more obvious about who he's calling out and who he's He's saying things about, and so this is one of those where he's, if he's in the temple and there's this crowd gathered, he's now specifically calling out the scribes and their motives, which is very, I mean, that's, those are fighting words. Yeah, he almost
1: seems more bold, um, even though really from the beginning, his actions were always bold. They just were more private. So this Uh is kind of a... A boldness in a in a public arena
0: Mm -hmm. yeah there's there's definitely a sense of jesus has a timeline Mm -hmm. he's got a schedule Mm -hmm. yeah he's got a schedule and he he clearly is is aware of that schedule and is aware of how he needs to hit the the gas or or let off the gas and yeah so it's it's very interesting Okay, and so let's get into what he says. So let's let's try to understand kind of the the track that I like to run on is wrestling with what it says and making sure I, I kind of clearly understand the scene and what's going on here. Uh, he gets into, you know, we know where he is, we know what he's saying, we know we kind of know who scribes are. That that's probably something we need to clarify. Uh, we understand synagogues, we need to understand, what is he talking about, devour widows' houses, uh, pretense, making long prayers. Uh, And so understanding that the local context and meaning, like how does this land for those present that are receiving this teaching right there and then, how does this land for the audience that Mark is writing to, so the recipients of the gospel in that first century context, And I think wrestling with that and understanding the meaning of what he is saying will help us understand the significance for us today. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of the the road I want to go down. So scribes, um, those are individuals we've talked about on this podcast before. Scribes are those individuals that are going to have a, a seat of authority in the sense that they have mastery over the law. They are ones that copy and reproduce, and so there's a lot at stake, and there, and so that that particular career path or uh, responsibility is high stakes because you are handling what is understood to be the law from the and the prophets, and so you're you're somebody who is nitpicky and very aware of what the what the Old Testament law says, which is interesting, which is, you know, the way that Jesus challenges the scribes in the previous verses and elsewhere. Um, but because of that high responsibility, there's probably a sense of high societal priority that people would treat them differently and they would expect to be treated a certain way and have a certain level of uh priority in society, which is indicated here. Any thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, it was interesting to think about what the scribe does, his his vocation, the the, act, the things that he does. Is It's not really talking about that here. He's talking about how they like to wear long robes, and they like greetings, mm-hmm. and they devour houses, which has nothing to do with really their vocation or their mm-hmm. responsibility. So it's almost as if they took Something that was really good. I mean, studying and writing God's word—that's right. That's a great vocation. And then it seems like their life isn't really about that.
0: Yeah. I, yeah, I think that's a very keen observation. That what they what they do on the daily within their vocation is maybe not their their true passion or desire. That's not what motivates them. What motivates them is not a love for God, but what seems to be motivating them is a love for uh, the love of man. Like They we, want the stuff that comes with the job.
1: And we can see that they don't love God because they don't love God's people. I mean, right. devouring widows' houses, I'm pretty sure that's not um, –
0: a lovely thing to do yeah in you think about a widow who um somebody who is a widow means they don't have a husband in that society if you don't have a husband or a son of legal age you have very little opportunity to provide for yourself and so your house or household may be all that you have, and there may be some expectation that the way that the scribes were interpreting the law was taking advantage of those that were disadvantaged. And so I think that there's, man, it's showing you the lengths to which they would go to secure for themselves something at the expense of those that are absolutely desperate. Uh, And then yeah, they, for pretense, they make long prayers. That that's an indication that they're they're the guys that get up and say these really big fancy words and long prayers, and they're putting on a show. They they want it to look like they're really pious, they're really faithful, they're really just deep lovers of God. But it's really only so that people will think that of them, not because that's true of them. So interesting. Uh, Best seats in the synagogue, I guess that was like, you know, you, you, there's a, there's a good seat and a bad seat. Maybe you're up close I mean, in the cushions, front or, yeah, they got the good I'm spots sure. and, and the long robes would indicate wealth. It would indicate, um, position and posture. And so they've got the, they got the right clothes, they get the right seats, uh, they're, they're selfishly taking advantage of the disadvantaged, and they 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 like to play the part they like people to think they're really impressive and so there's this you know and we on the last podcast we talked about the you know taking inventory of fear of man versus fear of God do you want God's love or do you want man's love and and these kind of being motivation centers for us as we walk with the lord and and he's calling that out for sure here and he says in the end they will receive the greater condemnation like they're not going to get off the hook be be sure be certain of that they're not going to get away with this as in in a matter of words um how does this land for people that are first century jews That their life has been absolutely shaped by what the scribes tell them.
1: I mean, that's a really good question. Um, I think it would. I think it would have shaken them. It would have shaken them. (laughs) Yeah. It would have been shook because, I mean, they they don't have really access to a written word like we do. They can't just go check on what is true, and so really, in a way. The scribes represent God's truth,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, and they obviously did not do that well.
0: Yeah, they. I think to your point, they scribes represent an unquestionable authority. You just you just don't question them. You can't question them. And then here's this guy that shows up, and man, he he teaches. In a way that the scribes can't teach, he teaches really? as one who has authority, where the scribes are simply uh, passing along God's word. But man, when he teaches, it's like it's like from him, like he's the source. This is crazy, and they they're in amazement. And and so now he's there in the epicenter in the temple, and he's teaching, and he's he's saying publicly about these individuals: be aware. He says, "Be aware of the scribes. Like, watch out." He's warning them, and he's like, "Because everything that they're doing is completely and utterly selfish. It's for their own gain, not for you." And don't worry, they'll get their condemnation. Other places, he'll call out people and that are doing things for selfish gain or doing things for, uh, you know, the the show of things so that they can look religious. He talks about the Pharisees that way, and he, he says, don't worry, they'll get their reward because what they want is the praise of men, but that's that's all they get, and that's pretty empty. Here, he changes it and says, they'll receive the greater condemnation. Make no mistake, they will receive a great condemnation for this because they are the ones that have been empowered with God's Word, and yet they're they're leveraging it for their own personal advantage. And I think for those people going, man... Can he say that? They're probably like, is he allowed? To, is he is that okay? Can you say that kind of stuff publicly? And maybe taking a few steps back, like, okay, any minute now, somebody's going to rush in and stop this guy. I mean, I'm sure it was probably a, a very, I don't know if awkward's the right word, but there's probably some tense uh, vibe in the crowd at that point as he's calling them out and he's telling them to be aware. But what is the... After they get maybe past a, a potential shock value, what how might this land for those that have been oppressed
1: uh, by the way that
0: hope. that yeah. Yeah.
1: I mean, hope here's here's someone who seems to know this law but but be presenting it in a beautiful and real way. Yeah. I mean that there's hope. There's you know, can you imagine being a widow and and knowing that you have no other option but the scribe mm. and knowing that that there's that there's
0: help. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Cause for the first time in their lives they have an advocate. They have somebody who is actually offering them life and freedom instead of oppression. And he isn't afraid to call him out. And that's that's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. Um, and yeah, I think that's such a powerful word. So if, if this is how it's landing for those that are present, how might this land for those that are receiving Mark's gospel kind of after these events have taken place and now they've got this this gospel in front of them and Mark is trying to illustrate to them that Jesus is the Christ. What are some things they're picking up from this interaction?
1: Well, Christ would have already... Died and rose again, and so there is already this proof that Christ has authority and mm-hmm. that He is God, as He said. That's that is the presumption of Mark, and then it's just kind of explaining yep. it in His story. And so, if I were a reader um, hearing this Gospel of Mark in that time and even now. I again i hope is the best thing i th- I think of it is you mm-hmm. know, christ this 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 man at that point they know him as a as a man a good man, a rabbi right. you no know, he he died and he rose again and then this is his story yeah it, it would make me want to be someone who is not a scribe you know yeah i I would want to ask the question well how, how how do i become the person who does not receive, receive condemnation
0: mm-hmm. you
1: know they receive the greater condemnation but you know what what about what about me
0: yeah and i think even further it's 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 showing a contrast between the authority and the life and the culture of christ versus the religious authorities and leaders of the time and what their culture would produce. He's saying the culture of, of these supposed religious leaders is going to be a culture that highlights themselves and prioritizes themselves at the expense of everyone that they're leading. Yet Christ, if we see this in the broader picture of this gospel, Christ is one who at his own expense is doing something to create a culture of life for everyone who was with him. And so you want to be on team Jesus? Yeah, like that's the team to be on, not the religious authorities of the day that he's just highlighting. It's a, it's a culture of oppression. I bring a culture of deliverance in life. And so I think it's, man, that would be powerful. And so how do we wrestle with that today? What, what's a takeaway or a way that we live in light of this particular truth?
1: As you read it the first time, I was thinking about the the privilege that the scribes had to have God's Mm. word and then how they mistreated it. And it makes me think of the privilege I have to have God's word and how am I, how am I treating, how am I consuming it and how am I living it? because it seems that it was merely intellectual for them. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just their job, that it didn't really make a difference. They were not being the people, all the way through Genesis, how God called his people to be, right. because they have that freedom in him and even through the Holy Spirit. And so, yeah, it it causes me to really question, how, how am I handling these scriptures well?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's a sobering, you know, if if I think about my takeaway here, it's a very sobering look at what can happen when those who are in authority and are charged with handling God's word how they can get off track and they could use they could potentially use God's word to bring about oppression uh, or even condemnation. And the gospel of Jesus Christ is meant to liberate. It brings freedom, and He takes on the oppression and the burden we do not. And so to be extremely careful and cautious and humble in the way that I attend to God's Word and utilize it in my own life, I think of even in my own family, how, how is it that my kids experience God's word under my leadership is, is the word of God used to kind of be a, a tool that I go, Hey, God's word says this. So you better do this. Like, is that how I am accessing the, the good news of Jesus Christ? Man, I hope not. Mm. I hope that the way that God's word is used brings reminds them of grace that we are in need of Jesus and good the good news is we got him like he he came for us and he saves us and he liberates us and not to be using God's word as a way of of pushing people down and keeping them down but allowing them to be delivered by the gospel of Jesus Christ over and over again that's good i mean yeah it's it's a it's a sober it's a good warning for us today and I would encourage anybody who's listening to this podcast or or watching this podcast, what you have observed is Angela and I believe 100% that this is the very communication from the creator of the universe, that he has spoken perfectly to us. He did not leave anything out that he wanted to communicate to us in his word. And so we have what we need in God's word a communication from our Creator that Jesus Christ physically lived, physically died, and physically rose again, and because of that, we can have absolute confidence that what He promises will come to pass. What He has done has full effect for us, that we are saved by grace through faith. This isn't anything that we have done or performed. It's a free gift of Jesus Christ alone. And I would encourage if you are somebody who is still wrestling with that reality, continue to wrestle, but don't miss the fact that God loves you. He 100% loves you and demonstrated that through the birth, life, death, and resurrection of his son to secure for you, myself, for Angela, a place in eternity next to him and with him And that there will be a day where there's no more pain, no more weeping, no more gnashing of teeth, no more tears because we are in him. And that is promised to us who are in Christ. So I encourage you to continue to wrestle. If you are a follower of Christ, be blessed by the word today. Be encouraged that we're on team Jesus and not on team religious. And so we get to serve a very good king who has taken on our burdens and we're just asked to follow him and just hang out with him day by day especially through his word so be encouraged today as you engage with his word in this podcast uh any parting comments Angela
1: as you were just talking about that all I want to say is preach it
0: preach it it's beautiful so it thank you. Thank you for being with us today. Uh, Look forward to having you again uh, on the podcast. I encourage everybody to go out and and click that link. Check out the Bible study that she's worked on. And again, grab that uh, for yourself or for any teen you may know in your life. It will help them take and read the Word of God, which Mm -hmm. is exactly what we all ought to be doing on the regular whether you brush your teeth before or after your coffee doesn't matter just read god's word so i encourage you to go take and read be blessed